0: How do we hold the simultaneity of freedom, of equanimity, of equity, while not trying to be like the other side of the pole, whatever side that you're on? Mm -hmm. And that is irrespective of gender identity or sexual orientation.
1: Hello, everybody. You're listening to Chatting with Candice. I am your host, Candice Horbach. Before we get into this week's episode, we are going to do our shout out. So I wanted to say a big thank you to Keith. To Roger, to Brandon, and to Michael, thank you for all of those cups of coffee. All of that support goes right back into the podcast. As you will see with this episode, we have an in-person guest, which is amazing. So all of these cups of coffee go right back into the show. And if you want to support the show, like the mentioned above, you can go to chattingwithcandice.com and you can click that link that says buy me a coffee or you can click the link that says patreon both of those are great ways to support the show you can always leave a five-star review and if it's been a while you can do it multiple times Um, we are going to do a quick shout out for our Patreon members. So I wanted to say a big thank you to Bill, to Aiden, and to Klaus and, uh, Keisha. Hopefully I said your name properly. Thank you so much for being Patreon members. I really couldn't do this without all of you. So thank you so much. And, I guess this episode needs a little bit of a preface because what I realized is I danced around the topic of what we get into, and I think maybe part of that is because I was a little bit nervous, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get censored, or this episode is going to get booted off of the algorithm because it, it is very intimate in nature, and um, yeah, I noticed it after the fact, so I feel like I'm going to give you a quick little 10,000 foot view, like summary, before we jump into it so you can know what the heck I'm talking about. And I hope to have Emily back again in person. I think we will definitely make that happen and we can get even deeper. So this episode, we're going to explore a lot of topics. One of them includes the practice of what is being coined pleasure prayer or pleasure practice. And the idea is it's using your pleasure as a manifestation tool. And you could do that through breath work and meditation and this very specific protocol that Emily has mastered and figured out and my husband and I were lucky enough to have her share that with us in person the night before we recorded which is incredible and um yeah so it's it's the idea of when you when you harness your pleasure you become you magnify your field and you're able to manifest on a much higher more powerful level and that can be as simple as giving yourself a hug it doesn't need to be anything that is crazy Explicit or erotic. It can be. It can be, but it could also be a hug. So um, it's whatever your body is allowing and honoring your own. Your body is a guide and your body is telling you where it consents for you to take it. And yeah, if you have any questions, leave them in the comments below. I can't wait to hear what you think about the episode. Please help me welcome the incredible, the magical Emily Fletcher. Here the beginning go. is always, like, the most, right? huh You just gotta, like, get like, settled. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, we'll do a little activation. Um, or do you want to do, like, totally. quick intention setting? Sure. Okay, cool. So just close our eyes. Big, deep breath. Ah. <sighs> <sighs> yeah, another big, deep breath right into our hearts. Exhaling. Ah. <sighs> 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 Dropping that breath all the way down. Imagining those two beautiful golden cords going down through your root, through your feet, through the floor, connecting to the core of the earth. Inhaling up that grounded, fiery energy all the way up into your heart. Exhaling and imagine the frequency of pure, unconditional love flooding every single cell in your body. Feeling our hearts starting to get into coherence. Activating that beautiful golden ring of light around us, around all this equipment and setting our intention for the ears, the minds, the hearts of everyone who will receive this conversation. That it is the ideal medicine that they are ready to receive for their highest evolution. Activating that crown so that we can be antennas and funnels for the divine to flow through us effortlessly, elegantly and with so much love. And so it is.
1: That's beautiful. (laughs) It's the best way to start a podcast. Thank you so much. Hopefully, the listeners are doing it too. Yeah. Um, I love that you said heart coherence Mm. and getting into heart coherence. so i've done some brain training in the past and they focus a lot on like just getting coherence within your own mind and then they eventually if you get into the more advanced programs you can get into um, like a coherence with someone in another room and then mm-hmm. they get into heart coherence and a lot of that has to do with manifestation as well so kind of like jumping right in um i guess a lot of us are probably going throughout life without that um that order, like that organization, right, within our minds and within our hearts. So I think like meditation and a lot of these practices that we're going to get into help establish that coherence. Is that correct?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's. I think about it like a, if you ever go to the, a show, like a live show, or you go to a symphony and everyone's warming up, you know, you hear all the instruments. Like, and it's just like discordant, <laughs> weird, dissonant thing. And then the conductor goes tap, 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 tap. And usually like one some, one of the instruments plays one note. Then they all fall into not even harmony, but actually unison with that one note. And so if people don't have like a visceral feeling about coherences, it, it's that. It's from this many different things going on. Your mind doing one thing, your heart doing another, your body doing another, past, future, fragmented. It goes from that into like everything comes into coherence, which means that they're they're talking to each other, they're listening to each other, and that you start to create these beautiful patterns. And one of the ways that we create coherence in the body in Ziva is that we use something called a mantra. And that word has been very, very hijacked by the wellness industry. People think that it means a slogan, or like, my mantra is, I'm a strong, angry woman. <laughs> and and mantra is actually a Sanskrit word that means mind vehicle. And what we're doing is that we're using the science of cymatics or the science of sound and that you utilize the sound. And even though you're not chanting it out loud, just like you have a, a mind's eye, there's also a mind's ear. So, you, you know, we could all say like, sing in your mind right now somewhere over the rainbow and everyone can hear it, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're not hearing it out loud, but you could hear that in your mind. Well, that's how the mantras work. And they they create this, this beautiful harmony inside. And There's some cool YouTube videos on cymatics where if you would put like a sheet of metal and then pour sand on it you know, and play it with a violin or play it at a certain frequency mm-hmm. music, it makes these beautiful sacred geometric shapes and patterns. Well, that's what the mantra is doing inside of our bodies. And so it's it's creating, I mean, we're, we're something like 70 to 90% water, right? So that's very mutable. It's very changeable. And so the thoughts that we're thinking, the way that we're breathing these mantras, they can help to create that that coherence.
1: I didn't know that's what a mantra did internally. And what's really interesting, I'm curious if it's the same when you're just repeating it in your mind versus when you're reading, but uh, I don't know if you know this or not. So I was listening to an Andrew Huberman podcast who endorses Ziva. So wanted to throw that out there because he's like the daddy of science right now.
0: I know, he's so popular. <laughs> he wrote the forward to my book. He's also a Ziva graduate and we did a course together called Mastering Your Brain, um, which is really awesome, but I'm so proud of him. Like he's just like rocking it. Yeah,
1: he's on fire right yeah. now. Yeah, I, I love that for him. So he was saying in one of his episodes that when you're reading, you actually are uh, creating an inaudible sense so your vocal cords are actually working even though you're not using them. So wow. I wonder if that vibration is um, also kind of – I guess it has to be. It's the same if it's creating that co- coherence throughout your body. Well, I would think about it like
0: any other input where if like if you're eating food, that food is going to merge with your cells, with your consciousness. It's going to impact you. Mm-hmm. Like If you eat a chia seed smoothie, it's going to have a different effect on you than eating a cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. And similarly, if you read – one book, it's going to have a different effect than another book, and so it's like the, the consciousness of the book is merging with your consciousness. Not to get too esoteric, um, but I had not thought about that—that that about the the larynx function or that you're making like an inaudible sound. Mm-hmm. But I think that Jim Quick, who's uh, another Ziva graduate and brain yeah, expert, and a friend of
1: me too, yeah, oh, I yeah? saw you. I was like, oh my gosh, we're all kind of connected yeah, in this weird way.
0: I love Jim, um, but I think he teaches—you know—he teaches speed reading and he mm-hmm. teaches people how to read a book a week. And I think it has something to do with transcending that piece, of that you're not speaking it towards really just sort of like going right into the brain. So that'd be an interesting thing to explore.
1: Mm -hmm. I've wanted to check out that course. I'm like, imagine that superpower of being able to read a book a day. I think Oh, is it a book a day? That he some does? people are doing a book a day. I think at his um, height, maybe he was that was his goal, which is insane. Wow. You're just downloading so much information. <laughs> I
0: remember my head of marketing, she went, she took her second maternity leave, and she was like, Yeah, I want to get the gym Quick Course to learn to speed read on my maternity leave. And I was like, <laughs> Perhaps you forgot what maternity leave is like, but you won't to be reading a book a day, girl. <laughs> it's like, oh it's not like gosh. a break.
1: <laughs> also, like how disconnected so many of us women are with that whole process is astounding to me because for we have this program that we have to be do, do, do all the time to when we are doing maternity leave. We're like, well, what can I do while I'm on maternity leave? What can I learn? How can I make this the most valuable? And it's like, no, that is supposed to be internal. Yeah. I mean, some people don't want you to leave the bed for two weeks. Like in a lot of Asian cultures, you don't leave the house for 40 days. Yeah. Like it's very serious. Yeah. My housekeeper, um, she's Spanish and I was walking around the house without socks right after and she's like, no, 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 no. You need to put socks on and a hat and it's all about like staying warm and like protecting your chi and your energy and she's like – "You." get back in bed and Uh, I was so grateful for her because she was part of that female tribe that I really didn't have in the postpartum mm -hmm. and I'm so grateful for her but a lot of us don't have that and we're not even being that for ourselves like we're just so disconnected with what our body needs Mm -hmm. um just why like all of the work you're doing is is so incredible and I guess to touch back on the coherence and like that um sand exercise have you seen the images of the snowflakes so they have the if you charge it with like a word or it'll be a love will be a very beautiful ornate organized um and symmetrical which is the key uh image and then if you do something like hate or anger or um like what is it like a low frequency word any of like the uh, like maybe um, jealousy. Like, jealousy, right? Mm-hmm. Rage. Those will be very disorganized. And in some of these books that we're reading to our our old oldest, they're like these conscious. Parenting bedtime books. They'll be the like those themes exist in the story, so you'll see the organization. There's this one called the Hug Factory, which is one of my favorite books. I think okay. everyone should get it. Okay. and it shows um, the symmetry of like joy and happiness and love and acceptance. Like it shows the
0: molecules. of It water? shows
1: like they have this hug that looks like a cell or maybe an atom, and then all around it, it shows its um, quantum field around it. Mm. And when it's happy and and open. Mm-hmm. it's all organized and it keeps it's like fractaling out mm-hmm. and then when it's sad and it's trying to control it gets it calls it a sticky web and it's disorganized and it's chaos and i'm like it makes me think of the snowflakes wow. so it's cool to see the evolution of this science and how it's it's going to the younger generation and that ho- they're going to hopefully be better off than we were yeah
0: i'm definitely yeah. gonna get that book for my son that sounds amazing yeah and and it's such a tricky thing like so that that book's called the hidden messages in water by dr mori umoto and And I I quote it in my book because I think it's fascinating science that just like being around a word or having an intention or frequency could change, you know, the molecular structure of of water. And again, if we are 70 to 90% water, then like what we're putting into our body, the frequency really, really matters. It's going to affect how you feel, how you perform. And, And yet as you're saying that, like I, because as I'm now getting into this more like somatic work and this more like, Like feeling your feelings. Like I just got out of five days in a cave and the only, my only agenda was to feel my feelings. And I'm wondering how we hold the simultaneity as we teach our children, as we teach ourselves of like, it is so important to find things that bring you joy and to take time postpartum and to, you know, be in bliss. And how do we not then spiritually bypass and skip the mandatory steps of feeling all of it—the rage, the sadness, the fear—and and I'm really open. I'm in the question right now. Like I created a kids meditation training called Ziva Kids, and and in it I framed like the big feelings as stormies. So we've got like the mad stormy, the sad stormy, and the scared stormy. And the idea was that I wanted to give them the frame that like every storm runs out of rain—the Maya Angelou quote. And that the sun is always shining, but that they're allowed to feel those feelings. Like if you try to make the rain stop raining, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But if you just like accept the rain, love the rain, feel the rain and trust that, yes, the sun is shining on the other side. And so it's like we don't want. We don't want ourselves or kids to get stuck in that stuff, but we also don't want to bypass it because it's like if we bypass it, if we're constantly trying to numb our fear or pain or sadness, then we're limiting the amount of ecstasy that we could feel on the other side.
1: Mm -hmm. So I guess where's the balance or is it more of like an internal knowing of what's the difference between that, like accepting that emotional state, whether it's for ourselves or for our kids, and then kind of enabling that? right? So there's, we were kind of talking about this earlier today where it's like um, be compassionate or like love everyone and tell the truth and it's like yes you're allowed to be um, super sad maybe you go through a breakup but at some point like you need to overcome it you can't just wallow in it forever because that's not in your best interest mm-hmm. and then obviously the same with the kid and they they don't have all of the tools that they need to be able to necessarily get over that hurdle without some help and shepherding yeah. so what's the difference between that accepting processing versus Versus enabling.
0: Yeah, I think that when we get stuck is actually when we don't allow ourselves to feel it fully. That actually mm. we're trying to protect ourselves from the enormity of it or the profundity of it. So we just put on like barriers or um, – like we callous ourselves from it or we we put fear on top of the pain. Mm. And this is a Buddhist concept called the double arrow. And the idea is that pain is part of the human experience. People are going to die. People are going to get sick. Like pain is unavoidable. But when we put fear on top of pain, if we're afraid to actually feel the fullness of the pain, then we create a double arrow. So the pain itself is an arrow. It hurts, but then it passes through and it's gone. But if you're afraid to feel, then you create the double arrow, and it's just like, ow, 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 ow. And the arrow, it can't go fully all the way one direction, and it can't go all the way the other, and then it just gets stuck. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what we're talking about. Like, you've been in the breakup. You've been mourning it for a year, and you're not moving through to the other side. And it's like, well, probably because you didn't actually ever fully grieve it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's why i'm I'm so excited about this new work that I'm birthing because it's about like just leaning all the way in, feeling it out loud. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that usually, if you just cry, it's like a three to five minute exercise. And then you feel better. And actually neurochemically, that you release toxins out of your eyeballs mm-hmm. when you cry, and then right behind that is bliss chemistry. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah,
1: oxytocin, right? When you cry.
0: Uh, I think, I think, yes, oxytocin, which is a love hormone, right after mm-hmm. the, the toxins release from the tears. But if we're just like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, he broke up with me and I lost my job, but I'm fine. <laughs> and you never actually have the release, mm-hmm. then, then we end up numbing and, and like deadening our ability to feel. Versus if we just start playing all 88 keys of the human emotional spectrum, then it's like, Oh, I can go to the depths and I know I'm not going to stay there, and I can enjoy the heights and I know I'm not going to stay there either, but I'm enjoying like the full range. And as of late, I like to think about like playing all 88 keys is a is a perhaps coveted human experience that like not all animals or plants or Other sentient beings or you know, aliens, if you're on the alien tip, like they don't have the capacity to feel all of it in an hour or a day. And so rather than trying to protect ourselves, what if we just lean in?
1: Mm. That was one of the more like challenging and intimate exercises that we did yesterday, which was the emotional alchemy. And as we did it, I felt more comfortable and I it felt more natural. But the very beginning, I was like, oh man, like how. How do I do this? We had just met. You went first. Thank God. (laughs) So I had an example. But even when you were like going through your process, I was like, well, what do I do? Like, am I supposed to like help or like, and that's the, that's the, um, I guess reflex that a lot of us have, which is like, it's okay. You don't have to do this, which you're like, no, let her process it. And then you say like the good purge, which is amazing. (laughs) Hey everyone, this is new. So we are taking a quick break for a couple of sponsors. How exciting is that, that we have a couple sponsors for the podcast. So this is new. Please don't skip it. Just listen. It's cool stuff. I promise. So my first one is a small company called Ragnar's Rocks. And I'll make sure I have the link below as you know, I love crystals and I get made fun of for it all of the time, but I'm I'm not going to change my ways and I'm going to stand by it. I truly believe in them and I think that they're beautiful, so sue me. But he sent me, I mean, how incredible is that? He sent me this beautiful amethyst. I've got this really cute rose quartz skull. All of this is on my table. You can't see, but when I start doing two cameras, you'll be able to see my little setup. And this cute little crystal Buddha. How adorable is he? Um, These bracelets are from there. I mean, I was really stoked to have him as a sponsor because this is right up my alley. So if you're into any crystals or you just want to check out the website, it's RagnarsRocks.com. And um, I'll link that below. And the last affiliate, last sponsor, please don't skip. This one's a good one. So we all know the benefits of fasting. Well, my husband and I have used this company, Prolon, actually a couple of times, so I was really excited that they wanted to be an affiliate of the podcast. So if you want to try Prolon, it's a fasting mimicking diet, so you get all the benefits of a water fast, and it's a lot easier because you get this delicious food instead of having to completely eat nothing. So you can try Prolon for $150 with the code Candice. Some of the claims for – and I mean, I say claims, but I'm going off of a script, guys – of people that completed the fast had better energy, mental clarity, and focus. You'll definitely shed some LBs. I felt a ton lighter after doing it. It's cool to do difficult stuff, and obviously fasting is not easy, so it's kind of cool to see how you can kind of push it and get through something that you thought you might not be able to do. It's a lot easier than just doing a water cleanse. Um, And again, like I think the average here, yeah... People lose an average of 5.7 pounds and 1.6 inches off of their waistline. So as soon as I'm done breastfeeding, I'm doing one of these. And Eric's supposed to be starting anytime now. So we'll see when he decides to start. So I'll link that below. Again, if you want to try Prolon, you can try it for 150 bucks. Use code Candice. And let's return to the episode. So do you want to kind of tell the listeners what is emotional alchemy? Mm -hmm. And then I have some follow-ups to that.
0: Yeah. So first of all, I just want to celebrate you because like (laughs) there's such brave work. You're right. I just met this stranger person walking into your house. And next thing I know, I'm asking you to just like purge your deepest, darkest (laughs) rage and shame and guilt and sadness. Um, but if you treat it almost like, um, like an acting exercise or that you're a little kid playing pretend or, you know, we both have toddlers. So it's just like you, you see a toddler and it's like, if you give them their orange juice in the wrong shaped glass, it's like world war three. it's like, It's like full <laughs> meltdown. And then they just cry and scream and rage for like two to three minutes, and then it's done. Mm-hmm. And they're just back to playing. And it's <laughs> like, instead of us trying to train them out of that, I'm very into us, you know, apprenticing our children and like learning how to remember how to feel that fully um, and excuse yourself and go to the bathroom and cry versus like repressing it and having to cut it out as cancer 10 years later. Mm. Um, so the emotional alchemy process I do as part of. Um, I mean, you can use it at any time. Like, I actually think we should be doing like three song dance parties every day, and just tapping in all the way to anything that's been repressed, anything stuck, anything that wants to be witnessed. Uh, usually, for a lot of us, that's some anger or frustration. Oftentimes, grief or sadness. And then we start to move it through the body. We start to actually feel it through like somatic experiencing, somatic expression, like dance or punching or sounding. Um, and then usually if it if we just witness it if we just see it and feel it in its entirety then it transmutes like it just, the the feelings just like all of us want to be seen and witnessed And if we ignore them, they get louder. And if we feel them with the agenda to transmute them, they're on to us. They're like, no, don't try to change me. You know, it's like you start Mm -hmm. dating someone and and then you're like, oh, could you start making a little bit more money and fix your nails and maybe let's get you new (laughs) clothes and could you start – it's like, no, don't date me. Date somebody else. You know, Mm -hmm. don't try and change me. But if we just witness the feelings in their entirety, then they're like, cool. It's like then they're willing to sit in the backseat of the car and take their hands off the steering wheel of your life. Um, But emotional alchemy, what we did yesterday is like I would invite you to just purge anything and everything that wants to come up out loud. And just to be witnessed in that is quite unusual, right? Because we're all trying to convince everyone that we're all fine all the time, Mm -hmm. but actually to just hold space and not try to fix it or coach it but just love the person as they're in their intensity and then we moved it with some sound with some Mm -hmm. dance and then and then it's fun to like alchemize it if you're ready if it's ready alchemize it with some bliss Mm -hmm. um and just even music itself is its own medicine so it's fun to um use that as like a preparatory exercise to move into other 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 things like like pleasure prayer which is one of the things we did
1: Mm -hmm. yesterday yeah it's It almost is disappointing in myself how unnatural it felt to be so playful, Mm. right? Because we can kind of, we use our kids as that. Uh, green light kind of like it's it's okay and acceptable in this context to be playful because I'm playing with my child but if I'm being silly with adults then that's kind of weird and like Mm. you know walking around like a monkey or like you know all these like very exaggerated things that we're doing but then you're like no this is fun like I'm allowed to be light and playful and I don't have to take everything so seriously but it it made me realize how seriously I take myself and I never would have kind of labeled myself as one of those those people well I mean, heard and like you were five minutes in <laughs> to your very
0: first time ever doing it with a total stranger mm-hmm. and you did an amazing job. Like you really played full out and you committed. If you did it a second time, it might be, you know, Wait, 50% easier. Percent easier. If mm-hmm. you did it a third time, it might be another 50% easier. Mm-hmm. So it's like um we just, we do it for the sake of doing it, not to be good at it.
1: Mm-hmm. So with purging, is there is there a reason that we do it out loud in front of each other and kind of challenge ourselves to be uncomfortable in that process versus is energy all of all the same and can you kind of just do that energy work on yourself and remove it or does that take a certain level of experience that most people just don't have i don't
0: I think that there's power in being witnessed. You know, mm-hmm. just like there's, that's why therapy is a thing. It's why we relate to other humans. Like we are communal mm-hmm. beings by nature. So there is power in that. And I think because it's so antithetical to the way that we've been socialized and conditioned to just like, Shh, sh- 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 sh, don't cry, have a bottle, sh- don't cry, have a toy, sh- don't cry, have an iPad, have some pills, have some Facebook, have some booze, have some anything but feel. Mm -hmm. And that's what most of us have grown up in, and even in some cultures much more so than other cultures. And so to be witnessed and to be given permission to actually just like let it rip, to just be seen, even if none of it's true, to be seen and witnessed in that there is power um, because I really believe that trauma witnessed in community can be transmuted, Mm -hmm. right? Like trauma plus safety, sorry, vulnerability plus safety can equal trauma healing, Vulnerability plus fear can equal re-traumatization. And this is, I'm just going to say it again mm-hmm. because it's, it's, I think a really simple, but powerful concept that like, if you have trauma and you're looking to heal it, if you make yourself vulnerable from a place of safety, meaning you personally feel resourced, you feel safe in the community, that can lead to healing. If you're trying to transmute trauma and you are make yourself vulnerable, but you do not feel safe, that can lead to re-traumatization. And so it's really important that if you're going to do this work of, you know, a therapist or any sort of somatic processing um, or even pleasure work that you're doing it from a place of I feel resourced, I feel safe because inevitably like old traumas are going to come up and because they want to be healed. But if, the, if that's done in a place of safety, it can really transmute. So. I think it's it's helpful to do it in community, but not necessary. Um, so you could absolutely just move this stuff on your own and just put on, like, however you're feeling that day. If it's sad, jealous, raging, you just put on a song that allows you to really turn up the volume on that. And then, and then see like how am I feeling now? Another song, and then usually you're like a hollow bone at that point. There's like an empty vessel that is created, and nature does not like a vacuum. So then we get to choose what we put into the vessel. So then you could put on your favorite song, or your silliest song, or your sexiest song, and uh, and move through that.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, so when I do a lot of work, and this even happened last night, although I like the dreams not coming to me, is I tend to get the most realistic and trippy dreams after I do any kind of like trauma work or forgiveness work, or um, even yesterday, because we incorporated some of that purging and then we did like the bliss and like pleasure prayer. it's almost like an extraction that will happen in a dream. And one of my craziest ones, which is why I found it so interesting that you used snakes in in your visualization and in the practice um, – I don't know what work I was doing at the time, but the dream was I woke up and there was a snake coming out of me and I grabbed it and had to yank it out. But it was so This was last night? No, no, no. This was oh. No, no, no. This was in the past which is why when we were doing it, and I was like, "Okay, I'm going to I'm just going to do it because I immediately kind of had like a little resistance to True. that because of that." Um, but I like yanked it out and it was so real that I I looked in the bed because I felt Every part, like I felt the scales and the coldness and I felt it like wiggling and it was so... Gross! (laughs) Gross! In <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there is a snake in my bed and I just pulled it out of me and I don't know how it got there and I talked to my shaman about it and he's like, oh, you just like did your own extraction of, of sorts and like you don't really need to know what it means. You just have to trust your subconscious got rid of something. Mm-hmm. So when we were doing that and we were visualizing the snakes kind of going up through our chakras, I was like, oh boy, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to see what happens. <laughs> what, what happens. Um,
0: And how was it for you? Like did it feel it – felt- it was no, No, or no, you no. Enjoyed it.
1: No, I enjoyed it. It felt like it just felt like very sensual, and it felt, I guess, like it. This is maybe going to sound like TMI, but um, I guess we're we're going there anyways. Like it's like that very full feeling of when you get penetrated. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a very pleasurable experience. So mm-hmm. like that was kind of how I incorporated. It was like that full penetration, like that, like the very enjoyable feeling of penetration. So yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't traumatizing or weird, but I was like, this is interesting that she is telling me snakes. Yeah. That was the first thing I thought. And
0: do you have any idea if like, if it was an extraction, like what was being extracted before and how long ago was that?
1: This was, oh boy, maybe three years ago, three to five years ago. I can't, okay. I'm trying to remember if it was like before or after um, my oldest, but I was doing a lot of work in, um, I think it was, yeah, I think I had my- Son, so I think it was probably about uh, about two years ago. So I had w- had went back to this brainwave training in Sedona, and um, they had like a female shaman that was kind of leading the um, the practice. And I think that their opinion on sexuality is not in, in exact alignment with me, but it's it's definitely more progressive than some. I don't think she was very supportive of my previous work. I think that she. So there was like a lot of energy exchange that maybe I wasn't conscious of or consenting to, which is probably true. And that there was maybe some ties there that I needed to kind of cut and mm-hmm. pull. And yeah. Y- yeah, so I think there was a, a lot to that. And mm. I think that even just those seeds kind of getting planted helped kind of th- helped with that work.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I remember I said something yesterday that I was like, oh, I want to check in with Candice about that, where I was like, you know, anytime you're in an orgasmic state, like you, all of your chakras open Mm -hmm. and you're doing energy exchange with Mm -hmm. that person. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, like, I don't know how often you were in a full orgasmic state or like, Mm -hmm. do you feel like you did exchange energy with people that you don't necessarily want their imprint in your nervous system anymore?
1: Well, I guess the question is, is no matter what, is the act of penetration creating an exchange regardless? Well-
0: I, I don't feel qualified to answer that question. I I would assume to some degree, yes, because it's like someone's body inside of your vessel. Mm-hmm. But the thing that, it, that I feel more qualified to speak on would be like those orgasmic states, mm-hmm. like the brain states of orgasm and yeah. the neurochemistry that's happening. Mm-hmm. Whereas like that is my understanding is that where all of the energy centers are opening and there's an exchange that happens. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but what's what's your feeling of it?
1: Um... I think that we have and I think probably especially as women we have the ability to also be on the defense like we're not mm-hmm. necessarily like that damsel in distress even energetically speaking I think we can be very powerful and like hold our own space mm-hmm. and protect our space even if they cuz that goes beyond the physical so even though there is a f- another physical body inside of me at that point mm-hmm. I think from an energetic standpoint and I was not capable of the t- at the time, but I think if you are meditating and you're very aware of yourself and like your own space and like your own energy, that you could technically protect it. In that mm-hmm. case, I was not there, so I know I was not doing that. So mm-hmm. I probably was having a lot of exchange, regardless. And as far as orgasmic state during it, I would say maybe like twenty percent mm-hmm. of the scenes were would get there so mm-hmm. like there definitely were people but I own I typically only worked with people that I kind of vetted ahead of time like th- yeah. I liked who they were as a person cool. so it wasn't like this exchange of someone who was like a Bad person, or like a total bad. stranger,
0: someone that your body was like, No, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, I think that helps. That's, it's very interesting, though, to like create a meditation or create a guided experience for people in the industry to be like, Hey, like this is a way to you for you to create like an energetic boundary around yourself, mm-hmm. or to sort of like actively close those energy centers mm-hmm. so that like this is like the most intimate part of yourself so that you have that. Um to use how you desire, mm-hmm. yeah, that'd be interesting,
1: yeah, it makes you more intentional about the act mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yeah, but good for you for doing the extraction and also good for you for being open to like re examining the snakes. so the snakes are really common, like it's um you'll see them on the caduces, which is the Med- American Medical Association you know, it's like a sword with two snakes coming up it. you'll see them in a lot of iconography on the cover of like Joe Dispenza's books, and what it's representing is this um like historically, what would be called Kundalini energy, what I'm calling um, creation energy, because it's like it—it it has this energy has the ability to create a whole other human. It's like one of the most divine things we could do as as a human is make another human and yet every time we go into these ecstatic orgasmic states we're not creating a human and yet we have that level of divinity that level of creation energy available to us so the snakes often will um, represent like the rising of that energy like from your root up to your crown Mm -hmm. and you know we did an exercise as well where you said you could feel your cerebral spinal fluid like moving i think you said like nitrogen yeah just
1: like felt like liquid nitrogen just going up so cold and powerful Yeah.
0: And so there is this fluid that goes up and down the spine and actually encases our brain. Mm -hmm. It's called cerebral spinal fluid. So people who do craniosacral work are actually um, like putting pressure on the occipital bone, which is the base of the brain, which stops the flow of the cerebral spinal fluid, which creates like very um, regenerative brain states that creates a lot of healing for the body. It's almost like you're inducing like very deep rest or even like borderline death because it's like that that fluid is always moving just like we're always breathing so to pause it it's like the brain can then run some repair and so it's powerful stuff and and when you um activate it in the right way you can send that energy and that fluid like up to your pineal gland and you can induce gamma states of consciousness you can in, induce like orgasmic states of consciousness and so it's a it's a fun tool to play with but just letting people know that it's like been used for tens of thousands of years in lots of different cultures. And if you see those snakes, it's, it's interesting that like for a lot of cultures, that was like the path to enlightenment, the, ta- the path to God. But then in our mythology, in like the Christian traditions, it's like, oh, well, the snake was like the introducer of evil. Mm-hmm. right like the one that like had them fall from heaven fall from grace and mm-hmm. it's like wow it's this shame this cultural conditioning around our own internal bliss chemistry is so outrageously deep that we likely cannot even see the forest for the trees because we're all just swimming in it
1: that's what i like too about a lot of your work is it's this reclaiming of pleasure reclaiming of bliss and you're calling it like this creative creation energy which obviously right like you say it and you're like obviously but somehow we are saying like we're unworthy of it we're undeserving of it we can only have it if we're using that to create a literal baby mm-hmm. um it's just it even with some of the more um eastern practices which is if you we were talking about last night, if you just got rid of your desires and your wants, then you would be happy. And mm-hmm. I, I, I love what you said because I was like, I felt like I was the only one that had this perspective, which is you're not being a human. Like, why are you here as a human then if you're not going to want to enjoy all of life and what it has to offer? Yeah. So this is almost giving you permission to reclaim that and say, like, you're allowed to enjoy pleasure. Like, that's not off limits. Yes. No one's in control of it.
0: Yeah, it's yours, actually. Mm -hmm. And guess who gave it to you? Nature. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Like, God gave you
1: this stuff. (laughs)
0: You think he's like, hey, I'm going to give you, like, this whole internal pharmacy of, like, bliss and love and joy and ecstasy. But if you use it, you're going to burn in hell. Right. Like, what? Like, would you ever give your child a toy to play with that you didn't want them to use? Right. No. no. And yet we think that that's what God did for us. It's just like, who said and why? <laughs> and, and like, truly, like, who's trying to get power from divorcing us from our own divinity? Mm. Like, who, who, uh, you know, gains from us forgetting? that we can plug into the divine through our own bliss chemistry, through our own internal pharmacology. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is that people who know and practice the ability to like tap in and cultivate their own divinity are very hard to control. So like sex and sexuality has been conditioned and shamed the same way that psychedelics have mm-hmm. because like they're both pathways to the divine and, and and both very potent and powerful medicines and need to be used with care and with guidance and with love and with respect and with honor And, and so I get it. Like there, it's, it's not just like have fun, do whatever. I mean, you can, obviously we can all do whatever, there are consequences to that. I mean, every choice has a consequence to it. And so it's like, how do we simultaneously honor the profundity and the power of these tools without spiraling people into shame and compartmentalization and, and trauma, like unnecessary trauma. Mm
1: -hmm. So we know that like the first couple of chakras, especially your root chakra, is associated with survival, mm-hmm. right, and safety and security. Mm-hmm. Is are there certain people that maybe like, should you be practicing pleasure prayer or anything kind of associated with that? If you haven't, if you don't have the foundation of safety and security, like if that's not solid,
0: it's interesting question. I mean, I guess I would offer that. So, just to define pleasure prayer, pleasure prayer is basically like where you're getting really clear on a vision, like mm-hmm. something that you'd love to create. And then you're starting to build this creation energy in the body um, from the root, like from your, what I call the hoo-ha. <laughs> I'm trying to reclaim the word hoo-ha, um, which I would define as both the anatomy and the energy center, and it includes all genders. Um, so you're building that that pleasure, that creation energy from your hoo-ha up into your heart and then up into your head. And then once you go into those peak states, those ecstatic or orgasmic states, it's almost like you're dedicating that energy and that pleasure to the dream, to the thing that you're looking to manifest. So that's the practice of pleasure prayer. And I would say that if you don't feel safe in your body, then it might be more challenging to practice that. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to say that you should not. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think that orgasm is outrageously healthy. You know, it mm-hmm. like improves our immune system, our skin elasticity, our endocrine function, our hormone function. Like all these things get better mm-hmm. when we orgasm. And so I think it can be very healing. But just like we were saying earlier, it's like if you're accessing something, certainly if there's sexual trauma involved, then it can be re-traumatizing. So, mm-hmm. the, so then the first question really becomes, how do I create safety in my body? Mm-hmm. How do I learn to feel safe in my body and that might be a first order of business before someone can move into it just like with meditation like it's rare but i do sometimes encourage people not to start ziva like if they've had very severe recent trauma if they've never done meditation i'm sorry if they've never done therapy if they've never done any mindfulness practices because ziva is so potent because it is so powerful at catharsis because it's actually healing your body from the accumulated stress that we have in ourselves mm-hmm. that if people are just like a bag of trauma with no tools. I'm like, I don't think you should start right now because likely that catharsis is not going to be worth it. It's going to create more suffering. Mm -hmm. And so the same can be true with pleasure practices. So, and it's not like, don't do them. It's like, just start with the foundation of resourcing yourself and making sure that you know how to feel safe.
1: Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. I was curious if it would maybe affect the way that You like you either see what you're you're wanting to manifest, or in like that shavasana state, if that would affect your perception of downloads or um whatever like comes to mind while you're just being still. Yeah, I mean certainly,
0: all of us can only operate from our own state of consciousness. Right, and and we all are a collection of. You know, enlightenments and traumas and our parents and our inherited stuff and our epigenetics and, Mm -hmm. you know, we all are a product of nature and nurture. Mm -hmm. So certainly the desires will be will be shaped by our consciousness. And then what we're able to hear and receive will be shaped by our consciousness. Mm -hmm. But just like you wouldn't tell someone not to exercise, you know, it's just like, well, you might not be I might not be able to lift 350 pounds at the gym, but I could lift. 50. You mm-hmm. know, so it's like just start where you are and then we keep practicing. We keep getting stronger.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing I love is that you're incorporating like this is open to anybody. It's not just mm. for women, yeah. which I feel like that has typically been the case. So my husband joined us in our... Um, our prayer and our practice last night. And I'm just like, I look at him sometimes and when he's like fully committing to these things, and I'm just so in love. And I'm just <laughs> like, he is so open to anything and he approaches everything without judgment. And he's like, what can I learn today? Like, what new experience can I have? And, I just don't know a lot of people like that. So when I see him, I'm just like, oh, I love you so much. But I also love that you have this space open to anybody because I think it can be massively healing for men. And what, I guess, like, even, like, the cards that he pulled last night, which was, like, kind of playful, and it shows a lot of the wounds that the masculine has with the feminine. um, I think that's probably a common narrative for a lot of men today, and they might not – like, he was like, I don't know. I don't know if this is it. And he pulls this card and, like, (laughs) well, something's here, and he was exploring it. And he's like, yes, that made a lot of sense, so it can be really healing for that polarity like that energetic polarity Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and just to like catch people up like i asked him the question i was like you know do you feel like you have you know wounding or trauma from the feminine and he said i don't know and i was just like what a brave honest answer Mm -hmm. and then we went to pull cards to like help kick off the session and it was like boom okay wounding with the feminine (laughs) (laughs) all right well there's our answer um but i i've been thinking about this a lot because i i am Attracted to very strong women, like my roommate, my best friend, my my women's circle. Like I have, I am surrounded by matriarchs, like these outrageously powerful, like liberated, pioneering, full blown high priestess sex witches, and and I, I feel. Very lucky that, that this is my inner circle. You know, I live with Regina Thomashower, aka Mama Gina. Layla Martin is my best friend. I'm friends with Mickey and Radha Agrawal. And like all of them have like created these empires really from nothing and in pretty taboo spaces. And. And, you know, the deeper that we all get into our healing and the more vulnerable we get as friends, it's like we're all starting to realize, like, how wounded we all are from the masculine. And it's just so fucking cliche. And I'm like, I'm so angry that it's so cliche where it's like, ugh. Like really, like like really we were all abused by our fathers and like really we just all had to become the masculine because we didn't trust or know how to be held. Mm -hmm. And it's like simultaneously so exciting to see what we're creating. But then also like I want for my friends to have that polarity and to be able to do whatever it is that they want and to be held and to surrender. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: I feel like because so many women of like mine and possibly your generation because like we were all doing the best that we could and yet like men have been taught not to feel their feelings. And men had to be the breadwinners and it was like go work all the time. And so we have like a whole generation of not that present fathers. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm speaking obviously in gross generalizations right now. Right. Um, but then as a result of that, like if you don't have an emotionally available, healed, integrated, masculine figure, mm-hmm. then you grow up feeling like I can't trust that. And then you think, well, I have to hold it all myself, or I'll mm-hmm. speak for myself. I grew up feeling like I have to hold it all myself. Mm-hmm. And if I don't hold it, it will fall apart.
1: I'm the same way. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's that, that sense
0: of control, yeah. right? And then if you have any sort of trauma on top of that, it exacerbates that of like, well, let me just control everything that I can. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you don't, and then as you start to date and you're attracting a partner, there's no room for the masculine. And so we've like created it's like this, this feminist movement is like not quite it where, where women are trying to be like men. Mm-hmm trying to earn as much money as men, but then in so doing becoming like them yeah. to win at a patriarchal game, then what we've done accidentally is emasculated a whole generation of men. And now there's like no polarity left. And so the actual healthy eros, which is the magnetism of the cosmos, the magnetism of the universe has now been stifled. And then we do turn to our sexuality, our relationships from this sort of subverted or perverted place. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how do we hold the simultaneity? of freedom, of equanimity, of equity, while not trying to be like the other side of the pole, whatever side that you're on. Mm -hmm. And that is irrespective of gender identity or sexual orientation, right? Like, Mm -hmm. because we all have that internal polarity, we all have that masculine and feminine, And so like I'm going to be a different person in relationship with you than I would be in relationship with my mom or with my boyfriend or with my son. Like there are different parts of me that get turned up or down Mm -hmm. to be in balance or to be in polarity with whoever it is that I'm relating to. And so if we from a trauma response or from conditioning – have had to sort of like fix ourselves in one state or we don't have the ability to be adaptable or soften, then we're actually decreasing the amount of people that we can be in healthy relationships with.
1: Oh, that's a really interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. And I love that you... Highlighted the issue isn't just for women, right? That now, Mm -hmm. like, men, like, younger men are kind of going through it too because of this Mm overcorrection through this feminist movement of us kind of saying being a woman or this femininity is almost a weakness, and I have to try to be like a man in order to succeed at this game that's called life. I was listening to something the other day, and this is just from like a scientific just like biological standpoint so if there's not a father in the house before the age or yeah before the age of 12 so if he leaves kind of early which is a lot is pretty typical i think around five is the divorce rate for most people um the girl like the young girl will go through puberty a year earlier than Mm -hmm. she typically would and we're kind of learning now that our over, like ovarian health is linked to longevity so if you're starting earlier it's it's kind of assumed that it'll stop earlier which affects your your lifespan um, mm-hmm. and then the telomeres of boys will actually shrink such that their life expectancy is reduced by 12%. Wow. 12% just from a dad not being in the home so it's like wow. I feel regardless of you know if you're a man or a woman that you like a lot of us are dealing with daddy wounds and like yeah. the wounds from the masculine yeah. And the solution to that is not to become the masculine, Mm -hmm. right? It's to, like, honor where you're at and, like, your – like honor the polarity and honor that we're different. And just because we're different doesn't allow for you to not respect the other person or treat mm-hmm. the other person different, but it's to say, no, we're complementary. We're not supposed to be in competition. And I see a lot more people that are looking at it that way. Like, thank God, but it's not like this, like Venus versus Mars kind of dialogue. It's how can we work together to create a culture that um, honors the feminine, honors the masculine is like giving women and mothers what they need during that very um, trying time of postpartum and respecting that like the typical workday doesn't really work with women. And, you know, it's just it's a lot more curated than this like one size fits all model that we've been we've been doing. Mm, Amen. (laughs) Amen. It's time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, oh, well, I guess this is a good place we can go to. That's pretty fun. So there's this concept of charging yourself up and it sounds kind of silly like how can you sexually charge yourself up and we obviously did our pre- like our pleasure prayer last night and eric was here and you were here and all last night and all today i'm trying to like get ready and eric's just following me around and he's like cuddling on me and like smooching on me and i was like he hasn't been like this <laughs> in over a like no joke probably over a year it's been like really? yeah Yay! so like just antidotal evidence it had a real world effect on like my relationship and just kind of how we're interacting with each other. It's just easier and lighter all day. So I highly encourage this to be a couple's um, exercise.
0: Yeah. That keeps coming up. Like I've been doing retreats sort of as I've been in research and development, birthing all of this. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like 95% women who show up. (laughs) I think that will change, you know, I feel Mm -hmm. like they're obviously early adopters. Um, But the, but People are keep asking for, like, couples work, couples retreats. And so that feels exciting. Also, can I – I'll share, like, one thing that if you want to edit it out. You can edit it out, But I just thought it was so sweet that, like, afterwards – So in pleasure prayer, like, we were full-blown, like, self-pleasuring each other. But it wasn't about – we weren't, like, watching each other. We were in our own space. It Mm -hmm. was about us and our dreams, us and our souls. Um, But afterwards, as we were recapping (laughs) – your sweet husband was like, "Yeah, the only thing I was distracted by is just that I think my wife is the sexiest woman on the planet." And I was just like wanting to see how she was doing, what was what was happening over there, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's so cute!" They're like thirteen years and two kids in. He's just like giddy and so mm-hmm. amazing. So. No,
1: yeah, I really, I was just like, "Oh," and at the same time, I was like, "I bet you he's trying to watch right now." <laughs>
0: Smart man. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I think it's great. It can definitely kind of reignite um, like an ember, especially if you've been – because I feel like we, t- we take each other for granted a lot, like not like per- necessarily Eric and I, but just couples that have been together for a really long time or especially couples that get married. It's we look at it like once you get married, this thing is it. And I don't have to show up anymore. I don't have to be present. I don't have to keep flirting or dating or putting in the effort because – till death do us part baby and it's like well that's not how it works anymore <laughs> yeah you still have to show up and every single day is a decision to show up so i think going out of your comfort zone even to like you know whatever extent you find yourself but especially like what we did last night like this just recharges everything and it like again it creates that vulnerability but in a safe container mm-hmm. and then you can't help but bond on like a much deeper level like i feel like there's always deeper you can go within a relationship any relationship with someone whether it's like a friendship or a romantic partnership and we often assume that we know everything about them. Like, I've been with him for 13 years. I know everything about him. Like, no, that's not fair. Like, mm. we're constantly moving and we're like, we're this river, right? And this river is never the same. So, I think you should kind of give your partner that benefit of curiosity and like looking at them with new eyes every time.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the power of doing the emotional alchemy work as well together. Cause then you get to see like what's alive, what's underneath, what's maybe like my partner's deepest fear right now that they don't even feel like, you know, we're we're working and there's kids and like there's not the time or the space to like go really into the emotions but it doesn't have to take a long time and then you at least have a window into the underbelly mm-hmm. which you know that is i would argue even more intimate than than physical acts when you really open your heart and let someone see like the parts of us that we're embarrassed to share the parts of us that feel that we're ashamed about or or like mm that just isn't encouraged by society to share like i think that can often often create more intimacy even than the physical act
1: i was surprised at how well he did with the emotional alchemy part like he so he went before i did which i was so surprised cuz i was i figured he would want to take his time and process it all but he just jumped right in and he he went in like he was vulnerable he was expressive it felt very real and when I saw that and I saw like this big you know six foot two man doing it like wow this could be so healing for men because they like their narrative is you're not allowed to have feelings you have to be strong and that's it Mm -hmm. like don't you waver because then you are not a man and this is allowing space to say like I'm hurt I'm pissed I'm sad and we don't give them that And, and a lot of these I mean There aren't a lot of men's groups, period. And the ones that exist are usually revolved around like drinking or like an activity where you're doing, and Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not, um, the, oppor- like the opportunity to be vulnerable or to go deep with someone on a real level isn't really presented. It'll be like a bachelor party. And you're like, you don't want to be the w- the wet blanket that's asking about traumas at the <laughs> how bachelor <laughs> How How is your marriage? Are you really happy? Like You can't do that. They're like, come on, you man. You healed
0: your mother wound.
1: <laughs> right. So where can we have these spaces? So I think normalizing that men also have emotions is so beautiful and allowing them into the space to process it. So don't when you see this thing, don't say it's automatically for women. I think that it can be very much utilized by men.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the the way I think about it is that the soul has no gender. Mm -hmm. And actually, like, as we evolve and as we get closer and closer to the divine, like, that which cannot be named, that which remains, the thing to which you pray, that thing certainly doesn't have a gender, you know. And so Mm -hmm. to call it him – is so absurd to me that mm. I, I – I took this from Glennon Doyle. It's like I will call God she until it is not absurd to – I mean, it's absurd to gender it, period. But until that's not audacious, I will keep doing it mm. um, because it sort of highlights how silly it is that we've gendered it at all. Mm. But the thing is that we, as we move closer to the divine, it's like we become – closer to the animating force that is inside of everyone and everything. Every man, woman, and child, every crystal, every rock, every car, every planet. Like that's how I would define God, the animating force inside of all that is, the collective consciousness of all that is. And if we're in sort of like traumatized or stressy states of consciousness, all we're identified with is our left brain ego identity. And so it's very much like here I am, Emily Fletcher, 44 year old woman, mother of two, mm-hmm. meditation teacher. But as when I go into meditation, when I'm doing Ziva, it's like I just am. Mm -hmm. I start to access that right brain state of consciousness, which is connected to everyone and everything. And that thing doesn't have a name, an age, a race, or a gender. Mm -hmm. And so this work to me, like I am drawn to it really because it feels like one of the fastest pathways to the divine that I've ever found. And I've always said, I've been teaching meditation for 13 years, about 50,000 people to meditate. And I've always said, if I find anything more powerful, I will start teaching that. And And I have not found a more powerful meditation technique than Ziva, but I did find a more powerful manifesting technique. Mm -hmm. And, And so what's interesting to me about this work is the spiritual component to it. And so I think because we've all been trained to think that it's a sin or bad or dirty or wrong, that we think like there's no, no – it couldn't connect you to God. Mm-hmm. You couldn't like access the divine through sexual energy. That's that's sinful, right? Mm-hmm. That's shameful. Mm-hmm. And It's like, no, just the opposite actually.
1: I heard that – I think this is maybe um, a Mark Gaffney thing, but he was saying that they've studied – a ton of different cultures and the common like the most common thing that everyone says regardless of language or culture is, oh my God. And he's he's like there's something there. It's like at the state of orgasm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. When they're orgasming.
0: Yeah. It's um yes. I think that Aubrey said that on our podcast together where he said that people the most common thing that people say at the moment of orgasm is either, oh God, Or their partner's name, Mm -hmm. which you could argue that at that moment is the same thing, Mm. that the partner's face is the face of God in that moment, because you're both accessing that which remains.
1: So if we're talking about, like, frequencies, how are those exactly measured? So we talked a little bit yesterday about Richard Dawkins' scale, and he um, will attribute, you know, like – joy, peace, love, and then you might have like jealousy, rage. He mm-hmm. has uh, – Joe Dispenza has lust on the very bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, first, like how are those being measured exactly? Because we do know that everything has a frequency. I don't exactly know like the tools or the modality of saying, you know, like the Bible is supposed to be one of like the highest rated um, frequencies for books. That's yeah, what I, I heard. I don't know. I don't know how yeah. you rate
0: a frequency of a book yeah. or how those scales are mm-hmm. determined. I mean obviously there's like – Gamma, states of conscious beta, theta. Mm-hmm. You can look at heart rate variability. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look at just like brainwave activity, but I don't know how you would measure like the the consciousness or frequency of a book. I'd be interested to know.
1: I know, because when I I'm like, oh, well, I want to see that tool because I think you can do things the same thing two different ways and from two different places. So yes, you can have sex where it's coming from a very dense, heavy place. You can also have sex that's coming from like a very light and um like, more enlightened place, like mm-hmm. a more giving place. Mm-hmm. And I mean, intention is everything. Yeah. Truly,
0: intention is everything. How you eat your food, blessing your water, having an intention before, before going to church, before having sex, like – before taking medicine you know i mean as psychedelics are having this massive revolution like your intention going into a medicine ceremony can really change the experience mm-hmm. your intention making love to someone or making love to yourself can really change the experience and so that i mean i, le- I think we live in an intention dependent universe and so i love the idea of certain people starting to become more conscientious or conscious around their sexuality and like you know when I tell people I'm getting into sacred sexuality and they're like what is that like what even is sacred sexuality how Mm -hmm. could sex be sacred and it's like well largely it's the intention
1: Mm. yeah it's like using it to connect and to go into like a more spiritual divine place than just at this hedonistic channel Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think anytime
0: you're like look you could kill yourself with water
1: I mean truly True. like the
0: devil's in the dose like the, you could water water torture someone you could waterboard someone um and yet it is, the, it is the elixir of life we need it to stay alive water is life it's like one of the most popular sayings in like almost every indigenous culture water is life because we are water and yet you could kill yourself with it mm-hmm. um same thing with food you know food is medicine and you can heal yourself with food or you can kill yourself with food mm-hmm. And so I think that the same is true of, I mean, even meditation, right? Like you could use meditation as a way to um, like remove yourself from society. I'm just going to meditate all day every day because I don't want to deal. Or it could be one of the most powerful healing consciousness expanding tools that we have. So again, like devil's in the dose and intention can, can really change how modality is received.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, your meditation practice is amazing. I've done a lot of them. And I want to say it was either day one or day two of the meditation. I was actually in this chair doing it by myself. And I've I've always struggled with meditation. Like I, and a lot of it is probably the narrative around stopping your thoughts, stopping your thoughts. And I'm like, I suck at this, I suck at this. And your approach is very different. And you have this whole like lazy meditation thing, which I just love. And I'm like, oh, I can do that. Because I had this fancy chair downstairs that they said I have to sit in and your spine has to be exactly right. And then your jaw has to be forward and it has to be like this exact science and your fingers are here. And that's the way that you meditate. And like, this is not for me. But with this one, you're like, okay, you can like be lazy and sloppy and at one point I, I caught myself because I almost like banged my head on this table and I was like whoa I think I just hit that bliss thing she was talking about <laughs>
0: It's cool, isn't it? Yeah. It's so, it feels like a nap sitting up, but mm-hmm. without the sleep hangover. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, Oh my gosh, I have all this energy. I have all this clarity on the other side. And oh, right. I didn't have to clear my mind. It's like so liberating because there's so many misconceptions about it. And I feel like a lot of people aren't meditating because they think just like you of like, I can't clear my mind. I can't meditate. Actually, my, um, on my car on the way here. My driver was like, "Oh, like I, I want to meditate. I've tried, but then I always quit because I, I, I can't, I can't stop my mind from thinking I have ADD." And it's like, well... It's the best for ADD. Yeah. And also, it's it's not about clearing the mind, right? Like, this will definitely be on my tombstone. We meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation. And no one knows or cares how many thoughts you're having when you're sitting quietly in a chair. Everyone cares how good you are at life. So I just want
1: to celebrate you for trying something new. Yeah. No, thank you. And you had this diagram that really um, helped me like truly understand it, which was – and you used Newton's law of um, like every action has an opposite and equal reaction. So mm-hmm. it was the idea is like your mantra gets quieter, then your thought starts to get louder, and then your mantra gets louder and quieter. And it's like this cycle that kind of happens. Yeah. And that that is part of the process. And somewhere in between that is your bliss state. And the way that you described it was that the thought is actually like a release. like, it, mm. And I was like, what a beautiful way – to see that is like not like you're trying to fight against the thought. Like the thought is actually a release because you are doing it correctly mm-hmm. instead of punishing yourself for the thought.
0: Totally. And so, yeah, so a lot of people think that, okay, meditation means clearing the mind. So if I'm having thoughts, I'm failing. Mm-hmm. But actually in Ziva, like you said, like we utilize the mantra, which again is not a slogan. It's a it's a sound. Well, depending on what's, what training you're doing, it's a, it's a sound, like mm-hmm. a mind vehicle that de-excites the nervous system. And creates order. And we're actually giving the body rest that's five times deeper than sleep. So for a 15 minute meditation, it's like the equivalent of an hour and a half nap. But like you said, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So if you're going to de-excite the body, then it is going to re-excite. But the cool thing is that because we've given the body the deep healing rest... The body knows how to heal itself when we give it the rest that it needs. And so then it starts releasing stresses in the form of thoughts. And so once you have the intellectual understanding that those thoughts are actually an indicator that stress is leaving the body, then instead of thinking that you're failing, you're like, oh, good, I'm doing a good job. Because mm-hmm. none of us will do anything very for very long that we feel like we're failing at. Mm-hmm. And so if instead we see those thoughts as validating, and if then we continue to get better at life and our sleep gets better and our sex get be- gets better and our immune system is stronger, then we're like, oh, I'm going to keep doing that meditation thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I love the gratitude bit that's at the end it's so it's so funny so i i've been doing your course um eric was going to and then he just hasn't he's been traveling a ton the flu came into the house and it Mm -hmm. was rocking everyone like it got the nanny it got both of my kids eric got home from a trip it got him right away Mm -hmm. and this was going on for two and a half weeks like throughout everybody and i'm just the last person standing and i'm just kind of waiting but i was meditating and then i was doing the gratitude practice or as like Mm -hmm. joe i think it's joe Dispenza, it's like vitamin g and i I just, like, kept telling myself that in my head. i like, vitamin G, vitamin G. Like, what are you grateful for? So I swear, that's the – I'm always the one that gets sick right after the kids. Like, I just – like clockwork like two days after they're better I get sick so that's why I Mm -hmm. kept waiting and I was like that's the only thing that I changed so I attributed like that immune system boost and me just like skipping that entirely to my practice oh that's so So exciting because like my son has
0: been sick basically since he started school and it's Mm -hmm. so annoying and like I get it it's like he's got to build his immune system Mm -hmm. but it's so annoying yeah and I'm so grateful to meditation because it really has helped me. But I used to get sick three to four times a year. And being on Broadway, that was a real occupational hazard. You know, you're singing and dancing for a living. So you have a cold, it's like not cute. And you have to call out from work and then you don't get paid. Like if you don't mm-hmm. show up to the show, you don't get paid. And so it was um truly a liability. And then when I started meditating, I didn't get sick for eight and a half years. Wow. Like not so much as a cold for eight and a half years. And that's to say nothing of like, you know, stop going gray, insomnia got cured, sex got better. Started enjoying my job again. And that's when I was like, why isn't everyone doing this?
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I could use that with the grays. It's like something with – it's a lot of Asians. I don't know why. My dad was pretty much salt and pepper by the time he was 21. And then mine started showing up. Probably right around the same age. And I'd have these like makeup and hair, like hair and makeup artists looking and they're like, you know, you have some grays already. It's like, it's an Asian thing. I don't know what to tell you. So maybe, maybe it'll reverse that lineage. We'll see. see. (laughs) Which speaking of which we were talking about inherent shame around pleasure and sexuality I attributed a lot of it to myself and I was blaming myself for a lot of it when we were like before getting ready to um, like work together. And I was like, there's this thing and I don't know where it even comes from. It doesn't really feel like mine. And you brought up like epigenetics and even just like a cultural aspect from like Asian culture, which is like tall poppy syndrome, like don't be seen, like be very reserved. And I don't know, like that w- it felt liberating that it wasn't mine. Like Mm. that reframe, like, okay, it's not something that I'm doing wrong and it's something that I can intentionally reprogram. Like I can reprogram that, um, that feeling like an imposter if I were to be happy or ecstatic or in bliss. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you for that, mm. and like what a good reframe that you can kind of give other people is, is. Might not necessarily be yours, and it goes back to like you know the body keeps the score. It didn't start with you, so there is some science behind epigenetics, and it's not as woo as it sounds.
0: Yeah, so they've actually proven now that you inherit like trauma and and like and the, all the great stuff as well for at least two generations. They're hypothesizing up to seven. But at least two they've proven on rats. So, you know, it's hard to do the studies on humans. But they've done some pretty mass studies. I think in Denmark there was a famine. And so then they studied, like, the children of the women who were pregnant during the famine. And then during 9-11, women who were in New York who were in those towers who were pregnant, they've been studying those kids. And so if if women are under extreme stress during pregnancy, like, obviously that there's, like, postcards from the outside that are getting delivered to the child. But what's interesting is that, like, the eggs— of, and I'm gonna probably misquote this to some degree, but if you think about like a grandmother, like the eggs of her granddaughter are already inside of her. Mm-hmm. And so it's like that is how much our decisions matter, like not just for our own happiness. Like, yes, you want to meditate for you so selfishly you can enjoy your life more. Mm -hmm. But if you really start to think about it as the least selfish thing that you could do for your children, for your children's children, so that they're not having to clean up your mess Mm -hmm. or your parents' mess, Mm -hmm. because it's like if you don't heal it, then it does get passed down either through epigenetics or just like in the energetics or emotional transfer, because we're all shaped not only by nature, but also. So by nurture that I, I would even argue that that argument is irrelevant because mm-hmm. so much of who we are gets shaped by those early experiences. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, you're born with one genetic blueprint, but then every nap, every bite of food, every meditation, every exercise like that is changing than the genetic code. I was actually at um, a conference from the guy who was one of the like scientists at CRISPR I'm not remembering his name right now. Oh, Ricardo Sabatini. And he gave a Ted talk where he was saying that as far as our genetic code is concerned, if you think about it, like a hundred page book, it's only the last five pages of the book that are genetics that are actually fixed. Mm. The first 95 pages of that book are epigenetics, which are mutable. Those are changeable. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we're all born with a blueprint. And, What we do with that blueprint matters. So I like to think about like a parable of of identical twins. You know, same genetic code, same height, same weight, same race, same gender, all of it. And yet, if one is given nutritious food and sleep and nurturing and loved and taught to meditate and exercise and and is like challenged and given challenging experiences. And the other one is eating crappy food and not loved and not nurtured and not exercising and not being challenged. Like their genetic expression by the time that they die and how they will – um like, replicate? Like, if they then have offspring, like, what would happen to that genetic code in their offspring? Mm. And so it's just a, it's an interesting thing to think about. And, and anytime someone's having the story of, like, I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time for pleasure. That feels selfish. I should just keep working. It's like, this is actually the least selfish thing that you could do, not only for yourself, but for everyone around you and for future generations.
1: Yeah. And they say that trauma will pass through uh, family until someone's ready to feel it. Mm-hmm. Until, so it's like, are you ready to feel it? <laughs>
0: yeah, mm-hmm. I know. I just locked myself in a cave for five days to feel forty-four <laughs> years of unfelt feelings, <laughs> and woo! There was a lot that needed to come out.
1: Oh, I'm going to practice your emotional alchemy because. That sounds really intense for me, I feel like. I don't know (laughs) if I'm- Instead of a
0: cave, I'm just gonna do a three song dance party. Yeah, I'll do that
1: instead. That sounds like more my speed. Great, great. For sure. I support you. you. I want to say thank you so much for coming on. Um, Before we wrap up, do you want to tell the listeners where they can follow you, any projects you're working on and how they can support you?
0: Yeah, so the big one is I'm launching my own podcast. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So it's called, Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? Because that's the thought I have when I found meditation. I was like, God, this thing is so good. Why isn't everyone doing this? And now starting to discover sacred sexuality and using our creation energy as a manifesting tool, I'm like, why isn't everyone doing this? And so I feel excited to bring on guests and ask them that question. Like, when in your life did you have that feeling of like, ding, 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 ding? This is so good. Why isn't everyone doing it? So that launches on May 16th. And other than that, I have a a free masterclass that I'd love to gift your listeners. Um, So it's called How to Reduce Your Stress overcome anxiety, and improve your sleep in 15 days. And it goes deep into the neuroscience of the course that you're taking, Ziva, online and and what the Ziva technique is, which is mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. So that people can get at zivameditation.com podcast. And then we're all over social media just at Ziva Meditation.
1: Well, awesome. Thank Great. you so much. My this was amazing. Yay. Bye, everybody. We will see you next week. And um, thank you for tuning in. That's it for this week's episode of Chatting with Candice. Before you sign off, make sure you hit like, subscribe, leave that five-star review, and if you want to support the podcast, you can go to chattingwithcandace.com. From there, you can buy me a coffee, buy Emily a coffee, or you can sign up for our Patreon where you get early access to episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.